This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Job reshuffling feels like the new norm. Over the past two years, so many of us made big career changes or took a step back from work. Now, in light of this trend, we recently chatted with a group of career coaching experts about everything from cover letter advice to red and green flags to watch out for while you're interviewing. This conversation was originally broadcast on Twitter Spaces. We're having more discussions on that platform. So if you want to get updated on when we have our next one, follow us at WBEZ Reset. Now, we spoke with Kate Brooks. She's a board-certified career coach and counselor. We also talked to career coach and speaker Bianca Jonti and Phoebe Gavin, career and leadership coach and executive director of talent and development at Vox.com. And we started with a big-picture question. What gets in the way of taking that leap and making a career change? So many of us have been in the position where we know that a job isn't right, but it can be hard to actually take that first step. Now, here's what Phoebe Gavin had to say. I'm so excited for this question because this is what I spend most of my time working with my career coaching clients about is working through those stuck points. And those stuck points are almost always difficult emotions that we aren't really sure how to resolve or down modulate. Sometimes we know exactly what we need to do to move forward, but because we have our experience anxiety or insecurity or intimidation or overwhelm, we get stuck and we can't actually take action on the thing that we know we need to do. And so building up your skills around how you manage difficult emotions can help you recognize when uh, a tough feeling is keeping you from taking action that can move you forward so you can achieve your goals and help you figure out what kinds of actions will help you down modulate that emotion so that you can access action and make progress. Yeah, that's such good advice. Kate, what do you recommend for people as just that first step when, when making a job change? Well, the first thing I, I always tell people to do is create a list that I call energy gainers and energy drainers. You just draw a line down the center of a paper and two columns on one side, list all the things you like about your current role or what you're doing, all the things that give you energy that make you want to go to work every day. And then on the right hand, it's the drainers. What are the things you don't like? What are the things that make you not want to go to work? And that can be a great jumping off point of, first of all, looking at it to see if you've got too many drainers and maybe you really do need to leave this job or are there ways to change your current role or is it time to look for something else that will let you do more of those things that are the gainers? I love that. The drainers. Oh my gosh. And I know that there are people that will have an extensive list and obviously that'll be the jumping point to go ahead and make that change. So once, once someone has made that choice, right, let's, let's dive right into They've made the choice. They're going to make the career change. And now it's time to figure out your resume. So I'm going to throw this one out to the whole panel. Just jump in whenever you're inspired. I want to hear what you think are the biggest mistakes that you see people make on resumes. Go. I, I think the biggest mistake is, is the failure to make it relevant, to have a generic resume that you throw out to every job and you don't take the time to make it more relevant and help the employer see how your background fits the job that you want to do. That's a good one. Any thoughts, Bianca? What what can we leave out of resumes these days? What happens is I've noticed with clients or even with people that have asked for advice or asked questions is they are working off of a resume that they've updated for the previous role, not accounting for all of their experience that they've had in their entire career. So it's not like we're looking at a master resume. Sometimes we don't have the foresight or we'll have a blind spot on the fact that we have skills from previous jobs that we may not necessarily identify as valuable because we're just nature, we're creatures of habit. You know, that's a great one. Phoebe, any thoughts here? 
Definitely. And I, I love the advice that Kate and Bianca have given. And I just want to add a, a little bit of a remix on that. So both of their advice is really about finding the right things to say. But one of the things that a lot of people fail to realize is that uh, hiring managers and recruiters are human beings and going through applications is a volume game. And so they are really relying on a lot of reflexes mm -hmm. to understand who they're going to move forward with and who they're not going to move forward with. The information here today I, is all stuff that I wish I knew at the beginning of my career. That's for sure. The last change that I made, this is all such valuable stuff. I'm wondering if anyone can solve this age old question for us. Can a resume go past one page or is that just bad form? Bianca, what do you think? I think it can. Um, I don't recommend it, but it can. And it depends on your years of experience, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you are, let's say past the tenure of 10 years, there is an expectation to see some meat and potatoes, but some of the, some of the roles that you may have had earlier in your career aren't necessarily relevant. Those can just turn into bullet points over at the bottom. Um, and it also depends on the role that you're actually targeting. If this is a little bit more of a senior level role, then I think that it's actually okay for it to be at the two pages. But I'm also accounting for the fact that we are in the spaces of TikTok and attention span. Yeah. We are human <laughs> beings, right? So right. it really wants to read all of that text. So it does go back over to the design element that Phoebe had mentioned in regards to your resume. Well, this brings me to my question about cover letters, because I've heard opinions on both sides of the fence about cover letters that folks say they're not even necessary. They're useless. They're a waste of time. And then others say, oh, you shouldn't even think about applying for a job without having a cover letter to go with your resume. What do we think here, Phoebe? I'm a big fan of the cover letter, but I do think it's important to ground your cover letter approach in the kinds of uh, positions that you're applying for and how much experience you have. When you are in an entry level position in the first sort of three to five years of your, uh, your professional experience, the cover letter is going to be an incredibly important piece of your application process, but it's not going to need to be multiple, multiple pages long because you're not going to have enough professional experience experience to really fill out a, a robust cover letter. But you are going to want to use that space to show what you're bringing to the table, your passion, the relevant experience that you do have and how it applies to the role. Once you start getting into more advanced positions, that's when it makes sense to have a, quite a bit more meat in your cover letter. Again, we're not in a, a situation where we want cover letters that are multiple pages long, unless yeah. that is what the, um, the employer has requested specifically. But that's going to be a situation where you can go a little bit longer. You can go to a full page instead of just sticking with, you know, two or three paragraphs. And you do want to make sure, again, that it is very meaty, that is very much showing that you have a unique approach to the role and that that unique approach is a competitive advantage for the role and for the company. Bianca and Kate, anybody have strong feelings against cover letters or are we all on the same page as Phoebe? This is Kate. I'm on the same page as Phoebe. And I, I, I really believe that this is all about the conversation you have with an employer. From the minute you write a resume or send a cover letter, you're starting a conversation. Uh, and so it gives you this opportunity to explain things that might not be clear on your resume, to explain how your background, despite being different, actually fits beautifully with the position you're applying for. It just gives you a chance to, to make an argument for your case before, uh, before you get to the interview stage. So let's talk about the interviewing process, uh, Kate. Thank you for that jump off there. I want to hear what red and green flags we should look out for when interviewing for a job. 
depending on how you want to experience work, what kind of work environment you are looking for, you can get a lot of signals from the company's website and from their job description, job descriptions. And so if a job description uh, gives you lots of room and sort of encourages you to be really creative in your uh, cover letter and, you know, put in a reel or a TikTok or something like that, um, that could be a really great green flag for somebody who really values that. It also could be a really red flag for someone who really prefers a more structured uh, work environment. And so thinking about the feel of the company and really thinking about the tone and the culture of the company and doing some digging on their website, on their social media, really reading between the lines of the job description, and even looking through uh, some of the uh, other employees who work there on LinkedIn can give you a lot of information about whether uh, their culture sort of lends itself to the way that you want to experience work. And you can find red flags and green flags there. Kate, red and green flags in the interview. And if you can talk about even just building confidence for the mm -hmm. interview. Sure. Um, and I think Phoebe really nailed it. I mean, so much of it is subjective. You know, it, it's going to, how well do you feel you connect with the company? You know, uh, at, at the interview, did you feel listened to? Did you feel that, you know, your opinions would be valued? Did you feel that uh, you could be part of a, a team or if you are more independent, will they let you work autonomously? You know, it, does it fit? So if you're just tuning in, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking with a panel of career coaches about red and green flags to watch out for when interviewing for a new job. This conversation originally happened over on Twitter spaces, where we're hosting more interactive discussions. We'll pick up at the part of the conversation where I asked how dressing for an interview has changed in this Zoom era. Here's what career coach Bianca Jonti had to say. Well, I absolutely believe that you should, you know, make sure that you cleaned up your room before you go on to anything. Okay? <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, I would hope so. Um, but yet, honestly, as much as we have gotten a little bit comfortable with doing our own virtual meetings, you know, at work, the first impression is the first impression, regardless if it's virtual or if it's in person, you want to put your best foot forward, be polished, right? I think that regardless of if the company is a little bit more um, straight laced or there's a a more traditional corporate culture, or it is more of the techie startup lifestyle, you want to think about how do I want to actually present myself? Am I coming off polished? Am I coming off sharp? Am I making sure that I would hire me? Right. Yes. Even, even in my, and I think that when we put the mirror back to ourselves, it answers some of the questions of what we should be paying attention to. Yes. Making sure that the background, if, you know, if you would prefer for it to be blurred out, sure. But I also think that I think it also just depends on how you feel and are you conveying the energy that you want to communicate to that person for them to feel what it looks like to be a teammate with you. Such a good point. Such a good point. I, I got to get into a really big part of any job, which is the salary. Phoebe, how can folks change career tracks without taking a huge pay cut? Well, you have to do your research ahead of time to really understand what is normal for the options that you are currently considering. Because if you're moving from a, a very a, a career that is very lucrative, that at a level that is very lucrative, and you are moving into another career where just the industry dynamics are different, that is something you want to have a clear understanding of and real clear eyes on before you make that decision. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, reliable 
compensation information is very difficult to come by because it is incredibly valuable. Companies pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for compensation benchmark reports so that they can understand where they sit in the market. And so unless you have a spare 10K to pay for something like that, you're going to have to do a little bit of legwork to get that information. There mm -hmm. are definitely free sites out there where you can get um, some picture of that, you know, salary.com, payscale.com, glassdoor.com. But it's also going to be incredibly useful for you to build relationships in your industry. Find Facebook groups, Discord servers, Slack communities, LinkedIn communities where people who do the kind of work that you do or the kind of work that you want to do hang out. And a lot of times they talk about compensation dynamics within that space. And that can often be a really important supplement to what you're mm -hmm. finding on free sites. Because often the people who go to those free sites and submit their salary information all of that's being uh, aggregated to present you with a report are people who feel like they're underpaid. And so sometimes uh, those, uh, the reports that you get from those free sites can skew a bit lower than they actually should be. Yeah, very, very good point. Kate, I want to stick with salary for a second here. At, at what point in the process is salary negotiation appropriate? Are we supposed to start negotiating right after we get the offer? Right. Well, that's you, you nailed it right there. Um, you really don't want to talk salary until the offer is out there. Uh, and also, in terms of researching that salary, you want to be thinking about other factors, the benefits, for example. Uh, what kind of health care are they offering? What kind of days off? What kind of flexible schedule are they offering? Because it isn't just money. It's also the, the some of these sort of less tangible things that can make your life a whole lot easier. Uh, if you have a flexible job, that might be worth a little lower salary to you. So, but yes, you definitely start the negotiation when you have the offer. That's the place to start. But again, be informed of what the benefits are as well. Ask them about the whole package. So how I'd do you... love to jump in and counter that yes. because it's complete opposite to okay. the advice that I normally give my clients. However, I really want to underline this idea of taking into account those benefits because uh, Kate is absolutely right that sometimes those additional benefits can be worth some of that salary. But I strongly recommend to my clients to ask for the budget for the position toward the beginning of the hiring process. Now, a lot of times the first conversation is with a recruiter. That is not where I would recommend asking that question. Once you have have that first conversation with the hiring manager and you go through that first conversation and you give them lots of really great information about why you're a great candidate toward the end of that conversation i always recommend that my clients ask if if that hiring manager would be willing to share the budget for the position now i know that that is very different from the uh, career advice the negotiation advice that we've experienced in the past but the idea of waiting until the end actually gives a ton of advantage to the employer that's already in a position of power in the negotiation. So they know what their budget is. They know what they're willing to spend for talent and you, and maybe they bought one of those $10,000 compensation reports and you don't actually know that information yeah. and you're putting unpaid labor into the career, into the application process. And often they're getting insights from that process that are valuable to them. And so it is worth your time to build up the courage to ask that hiring manager at the end of that interview, when you've demonstrated your expertise, excellence, how they've budgeted for the role. That yeah. way, if it's completely outside of what is uh, reasonable for you, you don't continue putting unpaid labor into someone else's business. I'm glad you talked about building up the courage because I know for a lot of folks, just that mention of like, what are your salary expectations? That'll be enough to make them sweat for sure. Because, you know, you, you just never know where you should 
land with that with that number? Am I going to be lowballed? Are they going to, you know, try to cheat me? So, so that's really good advice there, Phoebe. You know, one of the reasons that we are having this conversation right now, especially, is because we're in the middle of a time when so many people are rethinking their careers. The great resignation, a lot of us have heard that term. It's still very much a thing. So as career coaches, I'm curious, what do you all make of this? Like, why are so many people right now reconsidering their paths? Bianca, you want to weigh in? I mean, I think we've had time to be in solitude, right? I, I mean, I can speak from my experience working and being in New York, in the New York City area, the hustle and bustle and doing everything that we think we defined as success. And then we finally are now forced to take a look at ourselves and actually address some of the questions. And I think some of the hardest work that we'll do on the the hardest work that we will do is on ourselves. And I think that in that process of being able to evaluate, am I happy? And, And do I feel respected? Do I feel like I could be doing more? Am I coasting? Those questions are hard questions to answer, especially when the other side of it comes with a lot of uncertainty. So really the great reshuffle was probably something that we needed quite some time ago, but we finally had a collective or socially acceptable courage to be able to say, okay, you know what? I actually am valuable outside of my core function or this job title that I updated on LinkedIn. I have tons of other skills and other interests as well too. And there's just more language for us to be able to be courageous enough to say it. Kate, what are your thoughts on, on this period of the great resignation? You know, it's it's interesting. I read about it, and I'm not quite sure how these people are supporting themselves if they're all resigning and not working. So i I think it I think it does um, I think it does have to do with with reflection on not so much you know it is a resignation, but it's also a moving to something else. It's it's actually one way to look at this is the great transition to to better opportunities. You know, uh, people are getting to know themselves and finding jobs that fit them better. Yeah. Well, before we close out, I want to ask one more question of our panel. I want all three of you to give your message to anyone who's listening who might be on the diving board, ready to take a leap in their career right now. Phoebe, what do you say to them? I say point to the emotion that is keeping you from taking action. Taking any action is going to do something good for you. Either it's going to move you forward or it's going to give you good information. But doing nothing just keeps you where you are. So figure out what kinds of emotions or obstacles are keeping you from taking action and direct your focus to resolving those obstacles, whether they are logistical or emotional, so that you can unlock action and move forward. Love that. Kate? Your thoughts? I would, yeah, I would say do your research. Make sure that you've you've studied this. You've studied yourself. You've analyzed yourself, and you've analyzed the situation to see if it's going to work. And and take the pressure off. If you make a mistake, and and we've all done that in careers. If you make a mistake, you'll just go back out in the field again and and try to find another job. That's powerful advice. There. Last word to you, Bianca. What do you say to folks listening? Sure. So I'll sh- actually share a quick anecdote that I had with um. Uh, a mentor that was my boss years ago. And I was actually asking him for similar advice. I said, you know, I'm thinking about going in this direction. I'm not necessarily sure. And this is somebody that worked at the company C-level at that point and said, you know, Bianca, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. Your job description will always be on our corporate website. Your career will be, will not, you are in charge of your career. So I would offer this up to you is you're the CEO of your career. 
you're in charge of it. Sometimes when we put a lot of pressure on managers or outside sources, we lose a sense of what it is that we actually want. And that's where it becomes challenging to make a decision on what we actually feel is best for ourselves. Imperfect action is way better than perfect inaction. So take the step. If you make a mistake, you could just get a new job. That's Bianca Jonti, Phoebe Gavin, and Kate Brooks. And a reminder to you, if you want to get updated on when we're going to have our next Twitter Spaces conversation, jump on Twitter and give us a follow at WBEZ Reset.